Hey everybody, this is Cody Seaton, and this is The Swirl. It's been such a long time since I last cracked this mic open, and I plan on doing another podcast very soon to catch you up and chat about what's been going on in this crazy world. I hope that you're all safe and staying sane and doing nice things for yourself because none of this life thing is promised. And in the meantime, I wanted to share a conversation I recently filmed with Ryan and William of Equitas Health entitled Black Fetish Energy, Stigma, Sex, and the Black Queer Man. It's a really compelling look into what it's like to be a minority using dating apps. And if you recall from previous episodes of The Swirl, I never had a shortage of dating tales to share. So even if you aren't a member of the LGBT community, and hell, even if you're pasty, I think that listening to other people's life experiences facilitates a little something called empathy, and Lord knows we need more of that. So enjoy. What is racial fetishism, and what does that look like for black men? Being, it's like being taken to the hood without knowing you're going to the hood. You're like, I, I, I know how to, I know how to speak the king's English. I'm supposed to measure up to some sort of search. Yeah. item that you have on your on your Pornhub, on your XNXX or whatever else we want to talk about. This idea of this like aggressively strong, like like sexually insatiable black man did not start, you know, on the app. No. Like this is this, this is centuries old. It's that tired. This is Ryan, Will, and Cody here to talk about racial fetishism and um, how it works in the queer community and the stigma that's associated with it. So first off, my name is Ryan Womack. My pronoun, my pronouns are he, him, and his. I am a licensed social worker with a chemical dependency focus, and I work as a therapist at Equitas Health. Well, and hello everyone. Um, I'm William. I'm one of the other therapists at Equitas Health. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his as well. Um, and I have, um, oh goodness, what am I? I'm a professional a clinical counselor now because that title just changed. <laughs> and I am a chemical dependency counselor assistant as well. Um, and I've been with Equitas since ooh, 2019 now. And I'm uh, Cody Seaton. Uh, my pronouns are he and him and his and all that good stuff. And uh, I'm on this thing with two therapists. Like this is the weirdest threesome I've ever had. <laughs> um, we, are, we are so welcome to have you. We're going to provide you with all the love, I promise oh. you. <laughs> so let's just um, just jump right into it. Um, what is racial fetishism and what does that look like for Black men? Uh, to me, uh, I think I, I look at things in terms of the, the emotional toll that it takes, right? So when you're in the corporate world as a Black person, there's a tax you're paying in order to be in that space. And I also think in dating, there's also that sort of tax where, hey, like either I'm on this app and I'm just trying to find love or uh, I'm, I'm just trying to find somebody to connect with. And in the in the back of it is always this little bit of like, do you have a BBC? And you're like, uh, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a cancer and I like long walks on the beach. <laughs> Can we start there? <laughs> facts are facts. Yeah. Say, baby, you when you're talking about that whole uh, I'm a cancer and I like long, long walks on the beach, that is a whole thing. Like, hold on, I am a whole human being. <laughs> there are other facets to all of this. <laughs> and, and so much of the fetishism, like, I'm, I live in Washington, D.C., so you're dealing with a lot of people who are coming from all over the country and the world, which is a beautiful thing. 
The other part of that is you're dealing with people who have never interacted with black people. So they think that you are a porn category. You're like, hey, Latino is not a real thing. That is a, <laughs> that is made up for porn. Don't refer to me that way because I'm not a porn star. <laughs> but you have to know people in order to make them human. And I think that's where the fetishism comes in. It's, it's, an, it's a, a desire and also a misunderstanding about what that person is. Are we not I think you bring up a, here? Sorry, I mean, I mean, because look, part of that whole racial fetishism part, that whole piece of like, I'm supposed to measure up to some sort of search yeah. item that you have on your on your Pornhub, on your XNXX, or whatever else we want to talk about. I'm I'm supposed to be now part of your fantasy, and right. so there is that whole idea that yeah, I am your porn star. I'm supposed to be this whole um, I, idealized um, image of what you have created because of the world that we live in for whatever reason. Um, but it, it does put you in that. So you two have all sorts of initials after your, name, your names, right? And, and I'm sure y'all like, I got these degrees, I earned them. Y'all are like Dr. Jill Biden, like you will refer to me by my name. And I, I get apps all the time with sup, you know, or people who, and I'm like, you would not talk to, you would not talk to another white person that way. So why are you approaching me with like, you know, how you day? And I'm like, you're a little too familiar right now. <laughs> and, and, like, it's okay to, to just talk to me like a regular person. But again, it's sort of like being, it's like being taken to the hood without knowing you're going to the hood. You're like, mm -hmm. I, 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 know how to, I know how to speak the King's English and <laughs> we can do that too. We are the duality. We, we contain multitudes, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really vibe with, you, with what you were saying about, um, you know, the, the, the big black cock myth. Um, being kind of this thing that has been so utilized in pornography, of course, like it's being marketed at our expense because the majority of people who are, you know, running these porn studios and making money off of this do not look like us. Mm -hmm. uh, and so of course, like, you know, whenever, whenever I hear BBC in any sort of context, I automatically think, oh, so the most that you've ever learned about black people is through porn. Absolutely. It's so limited. And, and the fact, like you said, the fact that someone marketing, someone's marketing this somewhere, I always find it interesting because let's all be honest here, like who doesn't look at porn from time to time? And the idea that when you go and look at the porn categories that they have created and you're like, wait a second, what's, what's this? What, wait, this, this is a thing? Wait, mm -hmm. hold on. And now out of curiosity, you done clicked on it and you're down, and you done went down a wormhole of, oh my God, this is a whole thing. Yeah. My Christian eyes. <laughs> you can look at the titles and it'll say it'll say Ebony and I'm like, all right, all right. And then if it's if it's thug, I'm like, where where are we going? Who produced this? You know, it's sort of some of the I might see Ebony and thug, it is an immediate turnoff. Oh my god. Yeah. Ugh, no. No. Okay, I want to move I'm on not, to I'm some... not your Ebony, I'm not your <laughs> I wanna move on to some of like the the I guess the larger uh, characteristics. <clears throat> That also include that are also included in this stigma, this label, this this idea of what um, gay black queer black men are. Um, so I have this really handy um, Venn diagram from uh, Calabrese et al. 
Oh, he got charts. Yeah, we have charts. <laughs> I was I was very excited to find this. Yes. Okay. The prepared. <laughs> Can you see it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you know we have all of these stereotypes about gay men, black gay men, black men. And so they are very much distilled into this, you know, what applies to gay men doesn't necessarily apply to all gay men, especially not black men, because black gay men are different somehow. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so See, what things jump out to you? What's jumping out to me immediately, so we're jumping into it a little bit. Um, when I was telling you guys before about how the idea of what black men are and whatnot and, and, and how it's perceived in larger cultures comes a lot out of the black more movement um, and and how black men were seen from about the 700 ADs to I think it was 1492-ish because it was just after the beginning of the Atlantic slave trade. Um, for those who don't know, because I realized that we're having a conversation amongst each other as well as you know, telling the folks out there who are watching this. Um, there was the Black Moors who occupied a good portion of Spain for a little while from 700 to 1492 AD. And what was really interesting about them, because history has a way of uh, leaving people out, right, is that they really did occupy a part of Spain that was Muslim influenced. So a lot of it was from out of the out of the the, the books of the Quran and in Islam, and they brought a lot of great things that came along with like philosophy, mathematics, chemistry, etc. That like did this whole thing of, of, of they brought culture, y'all. They brought culture, like literally brought culture. And so there was this whole idea that when Christian European came down to this part of uh, Spain, I think it was Cordova, Spain, that it erased part of that history. But what they were trying to erase with the Christian uh, European uh, uh, Spain um, was that they were taking away some of the freedoms that came along with being black folks in culture. And some of this, like when I'm looking at it, like the aggressively strong, that's how they were off the scene. And that's when it was a threat to, to Christian Europe. So it, it, it's interesting looking at it from this aspect because then I look at it from the gay man and I'm like, oh, well, is that gay man or is that white gay man? Exactly <laughs> right. That, that's where I'm kind of like, ugh. Yeah, and William, to that point, like, when I look at this, the first thing I think about is how I encompass all of this, you know, all of this. But what I get to show the world is a very small piece of maybe each area. And then ultimately, we're cast as all of these things that none of them, none of, like none of the things that would display black men or, or anything that is anything less than aggressive, right? Like you, when can you, when can you be all of these things at once? Um, the world doesn't really allow you to be. Uh, that uncomfortable download at the top. Yeah. Freaking burn under my, my entire ass. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, so so Will, you made a great point about you know how the historical context um, has come to play, and that you know this this idea of this like aggressively strong like insati like sexually insatiable black man did not start you know on the apps. No, no. Like this is this is centuries old, 
it's that tired. It's that old. <laughs> but it, that also carrying this around for decades. I mean, but that also means it's sort of like uh, when I read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, about how we have all these things inside of us that are baked into the DNA. So, you know, a lot of times I don't think people understand why something's a fetish or why they're drawn to something. And this is one of those examples of where that comes from. Oh my goodness, yes. The whole idea and context that, again, it just started on the apps, it's so not correct. You need to look no further than Othello, Shakespearean, to see like how a black man was put up to to be this fetish and it was written into a freaking play. <laughs> like call it what you want to call it, but this, and this is general to the black man in general, not necessarily the black gay man. So how does that carry down the line of our lives? It's it's long, it's old, yeah. it's tiring. I mean, Rosewood for anybody who knows the history of Rosewood, I mean, that they burnt down the whole city because they were afraid that black men were raping white women. Yeah. <laughs> And what, what, no more. When, when was Rosewood? Oh, you asked me, and I don't remember the dates. Oh, don't don't record me. <laughs> but, but speaking, speaking it, I mean, Rosewood in very much the same way as as Emmett Till, in that it's it's the fear of a black man that will will do that, and then you have this violence that sort of serves as and will make an example. <laughs> so we'll show you how how hard we'll go to protect our, our white women. And sometimes white women will weaponize that as they did in the case of Emmett Till, or they're, they're wanting to be rescued as in the case of Rosewood. Yeah, Rosewood was, uh, was May 14th, um, 1923. Wow. Rosewood. So that's on brand. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, what, I mean, Wait, 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 1923, so 98 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, was Cicely Tyson? <laughs> yep, 90. Yeah, people. And, I'm just saying, we and, have people. And Ruby Bridges is 66, to give context. So it is not, whatever people say, oh, it's history, it's like, this is not that long ago. Really isn't. Typically it is. So that's All right, so ahead. so how does this manifest in, you know, our day-to-day lives, the day-to-day lives of, like, queer men. Um, what does this look like? I mean, we, we keep discussing the apps. Um, we keep discussing, you know, what people have said to us in the past. Like, what is, what does that look for us? Like, when was, what was your first um, encounter with racial fetishism? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I, I remember my first specific one. Yeah. Um, I was in high school. I was a I was a freshman or sophomore, I believe. My English teacher, first day of class, she she introduces herself and she says, you know, one of the things like one of the things about her personality is that she likes her men like she likes her coffee, hot, black, and strong. And this is a white woman saying this to me to children in an educational setting. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I'd never heard that before, but I I remember feeling very uncomfortable. And I remember looking at um, one of my black classmates and we're just like, yo, <laughs> what is happening right now? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I needed to put something on in class while I'm trying to learn some algebra. Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Smith, I need you to hold your vagina back, okay? <laughs> well, I have a, a lot of friends. This education. I, I have a lot of friends that, that make fun of me because uh, right around the time of the 2016 election, 
I decided to stop dating white people. Like, not that I was like, this is an edict. I'm never going to do it again. But there was that moment of like, okay, if I invite you into my home and, you know, Black Lives Matter was starting to be, become a thing at that point, and, and, and you play devil's advocate, it's sort of like, I, like if you're going to be in this house, you need to know everything that's going on. And one of my earlier relationships, my, one of my first like, long-term relationships, um, uh, was with uh, a white guy and we slept together for the first time and you know we're just finished and we're in the afterglow and he's laying on my chest and we're talking about what just happened you know a little pillow talk and he had friends who were in a, in a interracial relationship and he without thinking twice just goes so when can I call you a nigger and I was like uh why would you want to and he says, oh, well, such and such lets his boyfriend, they call him that. And I said, well, such and such does not respect himself. But if you ever say that in my presence again, it's going to be a problem. And it just really highlighted for me how quickly in your intimate relationship that something violent could happen. Uh, I, I just never experienced anything like that. And, and I, you know, I looked at him completely different after that because it was sort of just like you just brought this variable into the situation that I wasn't expecting you to. Yeah, and that that's really interesting because, you know, we've been talking about the, you know, how these stereotypes manifest and how people have this, have these certain expectations of us, but like bringing hate speech into it is a completely right. different because it, you know, it's, it, it's that, it says that, okay, well, we have reached this point where I don't think this boundary is necessary anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when are you going to is accept that race play? Yeah. I, I, for me, it more it sits onto the it sits at this interesting intersection of I am not going to yuck your yum. If that is your thing, it's a form of race play, then that is your 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 decision. Um and in the same breath, we should be discussing why would you think that it was okay to broach the conversation in that manner? Like there, there's finesse intact to everything. Right. And that just didn't seem like the moment. Like, like no. not when you're laying in the afterglow. No, 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 no. Yeah. And, and instantly, and you also know, like after you've popped your cork, you're, you're, it's, you're automatically like disgusted by whatever just happened. So <laughs> I was already like, you, you can go really. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, in, in, in one of my instances, I did not even get to the afterglow. Um, there, there were two instances where, you know, this came up in a, in a sexual context uh, where one guy asked if he could call me a nigger. I mean, he said, can I use the N-word? I said, no. Uh, but then there was one time in particular where we were like mid-sex act and he says, fuck me with that nigger cock. Oh. So not only do we have the hate speech, but there's also, you know, the, the, the dehumanization and that it's just like, like you're just asking for this part of me. You're reduced. Yeah, exactly. Paul's you was like, put your dick on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! It reminds me of like your dick. Reminds me of like the Usher confession, like. <laughs> 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 
Oh, humor is okay. only you can get through some of this stuff. Oh boy. Ooh, that was. <laughs> you bring it back together. Self-deprecation is the best way. <laughs> bring it back together. Um, Cody, tell us tell us about your project. Yeah. Uh, tell us about Grinder While Black and how it kind of came about, and just really, really what it's all about. Sure. So I started Grinder While Black uh, about three years ago, but I I'd like to think that the project is going on a little longer than that. Um, I have been on dating apps, well, I'm not on them now because of the pandemic, but when I was on them hard, you know, there's multiple, you know, there's, I can count in, in my head at least five. And I would always, uh, at dinners with friends or drinks, uh, tell people, like, you would not believe what my experience is like on these apps. And I, and I liken it to, um, things like Facebook, where if you, if you click on certain things, enough times, your feed is gonna be social justice or it's gonna be cats, right? But nobody's gonna have the exact same experience. So whenever I would log on, it was men who would not even say hello. The first thing I would say is, you know, BBC, question mark, or, you know, show me your dick, stuff like that. And I would screen cap it and I would share it with my friends and they, and they just couldn't believe, my friends who are, are non-black, they couldn't believe that that was the, the situation, right? Because I, they would say, oh, well, you know, why are you single or why haven't you been in a relationship all the time? And I'd be like, well, here's the thing. <laughs> so I, I had been capturing it for a long time. And then I came up with this idea of putting together um, uh, this Instagram called Grinder World Black. And I thought it would be interesting just as um, an edu like an educational project. I, I'm, a, I'm a show and not tell kind of person. And what I what I found from it was there are examples of how often I tried to laugh off what was happening or or you know ignore people. Um, but what really surprised me, and also I, I try to I try to really infuse humor with it because it really, when you think about it, is pretty sad. Uh, but what ended up happening is so many people message me, um, you know, in the DMs or they're in the comments about. I'm having the same experience. And uh, I think I would have stopped doing it a long time ago had it not been for that. You know, a lot of my private messages are therapy sessions for people uh, or areas where they can vent. And, and I just didn't realize that uh, as black men, we didn't have that sort of community or that space. So if nothing else, I'm just glad to have that kind of space for us. And where can you find your content? Sure. So it's on Twitter uh, at uh, the Grinderwall Black. Uh, it's also on Instagram at Grinderwall Black. And there's a uh, backup called GWB underscore backup uh, because uh, people try to shut me down. <laughs> so we have a couple of different spots where you can find the content. But I think very soon it'll convert to a website, which will have the same name. So, I mean, you, you have all of these like primary accounts, like you're doing research, really. Um, what are some what are some common themes that come up or common reactions that uh, people who are you know fetishizing black mm -hmm. men like? I think that the the first thing is there's always this cognitive dissonance. Uh, a, a pe people's profiles will say, you know, looking for a kind, smart, compassionate human being to spend my life with. Uh, <laughs> you know, no, no Trump voters are you here. Really? You know, you know that kind of thing, and then their first—if you—if you didn't vote for Hillary, you, you couldn't talk to me. 
Uh, and then their first, con you know, first message would be big cock, you know, a or you know something that's related to being black. And I think that some people don't see themselves as being problematic. Um, and and they also, I think, you know, what I've run into many times doing this Brian of Black, a lot of people don't know it's me, uh, which is great. You know, I have my regular photo up and everything. Uh, and I was sort of like Erica Badu about it, right? Like I come in peace, but I mean business. So when I, there are plenty of times where there are people who have sent messages to me, like, you know, come over here and fuck me with your nigga dick. And then I see them in a bar and they're quiet as church mice, you know, and I'll approach them and be like, hey, you know, like maybe you'll talk to me like a human being now. But I find that it's what the central theme of Grand Old Black is, is the, the internet is so impersonal and it makes people very bold. And the, the same people who would have that kind of demand online at 1 a.m. Uh, are afraid of really encountering you in the street. Uh, and, and so I, you know, I think that's a larger societal issue that, um, you know, it, in the seventies, you know, if you want to know what somebody was into, you, you know, there was a hanky in a certain pocket, you know, that's what down low was for all gaming. And now you have all these apps that are, you know, down to scruff if you're a bear and, and, you know, all these kind of like, um, really targeted, uh, methods of meeting men and and people still don't know how to communicate and they still don't know how to sort of consent. I find that a lot of the men on uh, a lot of the messaging in a ground or black start with somebody's like asshole, not, not an asshole person, an asshole, <laughs> like a literal butt. And comical. <laughs> wow, like you really just dropped the chocolate starfish on me and didn't say hi. You just like they'll send their butt and I'm just like, that's their hello. You're just like, wow, okay. I mean, and again, sometimes I feel like a nut, sometimes I don't. I think that's the, the toughest part of it. Maybe I, I would be up for just hooking up with somebody. But when you start it out with like, you don't even exist, you're just a dick. It's a really hard place to start from. Mm -hmm. So from your experiences, because of how you are now collecting this content, because um, I've now had the pleasure of seeing it as well um, through Twitter, um, and I can see that we clearly have a community of folks who are, who present in a very similar manner as us, the three of us. Um, do you feel or do you, have you observed that the people who tend to have this, um, this this discord with the people who are using them as a fetish are you seeing more of it being a cultural misunderstanding between the person asking and the person that they're the person who's asking the person they're asking or is it just that bold brazenness uh yeah i i think it's i think it's a little bit of both like here in dc you're you're going to encounter people who moved here from iowa or kansas or kentucky Right, so their proximity to blackness um, is is much different. And then, what, what's shocking is, you know, because it's such a liberal place, is you have these people, and you're like, I think that you're educated, but you know, book smarts and street smarts aren't the same thing. So I I, I think it's a it's a weird intersection, especially the people who want to check the box, like I've never been a black person before. Um, I I really I really don't know. I I personally feel like you can only meet people as deeply as they met themselves. And I feel like a lot of the men on these dating apps 
they don't really know they don't really know themselves or they don't know what is motivating them uh, to do some of these things. Aside, you know, I uh, my my one of my favorite quotes is a hard dick has a soft conscience. And <laughs> so you I mean, nice. you know, there's there's a way that you might behave when you're feeling frisky that you might not when you you've cleared the pipes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I I found this really interesting study from Canada um, uh, by husbands at all. And it 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 compiled the experience of a lot of um, men from who who had come from different African countries to uh, to Canada and their sexual experiences with white men um, and black men. And so there was a significant number of participants who reported being uh, receptive, bottom, or versatile in sexual relationships with black men. Um, or, excuse, yeah. So, so they were more, you know, versatile or bottom when they were with black men, but when, when, when they were, were with white men, they switched. And so this kind of comes to the conclusion that, you know, when you are, ex like, when you have to fulfill a certain role, um, you're not as fulfilled because a lot of, like, a lot of these men in the survey were like, I mean, Sure, it happened, but I felt closer to the black and brown men that I was that I was sleeping with because I felt like I could be more myself. Yeah, I would I'm imagine that there, could be sorry. I'm sorry. No, I would imagine there's a certain amount of policing, right? Like I I I was telling a friend recently, you know, I go to therapy and it wasn't until I started going to a person of color that I was really honest. And, and I think you can, yeah, you can be with somebody, but, you know, they only know you to a, a certain degree. And I think there's a shorthand when you date uh, someone of your own ethnicity or race. I think it's a beautiful thing to date interracially and to, to exchange cultures. Um, I'm very torn about this, honestly. I think it's a very large, interesting conversation because we talk about masculinity. Um, as if it's this siloed experience as a culture. And so we want to put definitions around what that looks like. And unfortunately, within our culture, um, there is a definition of what masculinity is supposed to be and what it looks like. I think that we're doing so much better as a country and as a, a, a culture here as Black folks in America with expanding upon that so that way we can be more liberal with our sexuality and understanding that it's not this monolithic experience mm -hmm. that we can do more than one thing. So to that extent, I can also see where it's problematic for me to say, I want to give of myself to someone who is a representation of what actually hurts me. So maybe I'm limited in what I want to do because you are a representation of this oppressive system. I'm not bottoming for a white man. You, you, yeah. you, there, there's a whole thought process that goes behind it, but I can see where that could be limiting to the extent that I'm not willing to do certain things. But I probably was with somebody who looks like me or someone who's also a racial um, um, minority because there's some shared experiences there because we might not have necessarily been um, offensive towards each other as far as the, the history is concerned in this country. So I, I'd see that. I, I just wanted to add, William, to that degree, I feel like I haven't reached the apex of my um, sexual understanding of myself because of these limitations, right? Like you meet somebody 
And they're just like, oh, so you're a top, right? And yes, but like, I, if somebody wanted it, like I'd, I'd, I'd serve it up. You know, <laughs> nobody's asked me. So you gotta work for it. <laughs> nobody's asked me. Um, but what ends up happening is, you know, I've been put into that kind of narrow box or that narrow definition of like, okay, when you get to bed, like you gotta be masculine and strong. And I'm, you know, there's been once or twice in my life, I'm like, I I could be a little spoon. Like I could I could do it. <laughs> you know, like if somebody offered, like I but I'm I'm playing big spoon my whole life. So, you know, but again, it's sort of like the role that's been cast of what masculinity is. And I think sometimes that that ties us up. Okay, so, so that so, whole conversation, a little spoon, big spoon is a whole another conversation oh, because oh, oh, when you're typically the big spoon. <laughs> oh my God. So 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 in rounding out our conversation, this Equitas project is about um, stigma and you know processing stigma and going towards healing. So how do we heal from this? Uh, I I think what we're doing right now is huge. Uh, you know, I've been, I have so, I'm, I'm so fortunate to have a good, like, friend, like, a friend base of people of color to have those conversations with. And I felt very lonely uh, years ago when, you know, maybe I was in more of, like, a white space and you're the outlier. Uh, but I have people who are black and gay and male who I can, I can talk to. Um, and, and, I, I, and I think that helps to, to feel less lonely. And I think it's also like learning yourself and calling a thing a thing. I have a lot of friends who who only date white men, black friends who only date white men, and I don't know that they have ever investigated why that was. And and then you know they're unfulfilled or they they get into these redundant arguments, and it's sort of like, well, you know, are you are you where you need to be? Um, and I and I think uh, there's introspection. Introspection is a big part of this. Absolutely. See, Cody took the words out of my mouth oh. in regards to being introspective. Um, I think it's very difficult to know how you're going to give to someone's self if you haven't given your ch yourself the chance to give unto yourself. And so um, I think it takes a lot of personal internal work, which sometimes requires you to go see a Ryan or a William. <laughs> um, sometimes it might mean having the spaces with friends like Cody was speaking of, um, where you can have those conversations amongst friends. Um, it, it, you really do need to do the work of why are my behaviors, why are my steps ordered in the way that they're ordered, so that way you can be more intentional about your actions. And that is that is very paramount in regards of how you identify. I don't care if you're white, black, gay, straight, whatever. You need to be in tune with who this person is so that way you know when you're doing your, when you're putting forth efforts and doing certain behaviors, you're doing it with a certain amount of attention. So I think that that's where you start. Um, but having spaces where people can come together and have those conversations as well is also important because if you don't have it, well, then you're sitting in a siloed experience and that's not going to do you any good. You both bring so much wisdom and experiences to to this project, and I want to thank you both so much. Uh, we're out of time, but I want everybody watching this to keep the conversation going, um, and you know, heal from the stigma. This is what are, that's what we're here for. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.